0: On this episode of This Week in Linux, we have a ton of stuff to talk about, like Fedora's announcement of the beta for Fedora 30, Linux Journal released their 25th anniversary issue for free to everyone, and YubiPorts announced they were successful in forming their own foundation. We also got a lot of app news this week from GIMP, WPS Office, Strawberry and Dead Beef Music Players, Chef Automation Tool, and more. We're also going to check out some other distro news from Sabion and Linux Mint, Later in the show, we'll check out some other news from Raspberry Pi, Wayland, Purism, and many more. Then we'll round out the show with some Linux gaming news from Asper Media and SuperTuxkart. All that and much more coming up. I'm Michael Tanell with Tux Digital, and this is your weekly source for Linux good news. This episode of This Week in Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and more. You get access to this, plus access to their world-class customer support for as low as $5 per month. DigitalOcean also has 2,000 cloud agnostic tutorials to help you stay up-to-date with the latest open-source software, languages, and frameworks. You can get started on DigitalOcean for two months for free with a $100 credit by going to do.co/tux. That's do.co/tux. You can use that $100 credit to try out a bunch of their small droplets or some of their big beefy droplets. Where in fact, you can even try out their 16 gig RAM, six virtual CPU droplet that has six terabytes of transfer. Again, you can get started on DigitalOcean with that $100 credit by going to do.co/tux. That's do.co/tux. And thanks again to DigitalOcean for sponsoring this week in Linux. Up first in the show this week is the beta for Fedora 30 has been released. If you'd like to check out the beta, just keep in mind that it is a beta and it's not the full final release. So there might be some hiccups here and there, but I just wanted to let you know that it is available. And this one is definitely one worth checking out because there's a lot of cool stuff that's happening in this release. So I'm going to cover a few things that I thought was really interesting to cover, Uh, but I'll talk about the uh, more in depth in a future video or in a future episode when the Fedora 30 is released but for now let's talk about the the latest update for for Fedora 30 has a lot of cool stuff for DNF performance has been improved so all DNF repository metadata for Fedora 30 is compressed now with ZChunk in addition to the XE or GZIP format or compression algorithms and this ZChunk thing is actually really cool because it allows you to use uh, Delta updates which means that you're able to update metadata that has changed since the last time you did it rather than having to download everything, which makes it a lot faster and a lot more seamless to uh, use DNF to manage your system. So that's really cool. They've also updated GNOME to 3.32. So Fedora Workstation Beta includes GNOME 3.32, the latest version of the uh, GNOME desktop, and the GNOME 3.32 features uh, updated visual style including the uh, changes to the user interface the icons and many more things. If you like a more in-depth coverage of GNOME 3.32 there's uh, I have it, I've done so on episode 59 of This Week in Linux so check that out. But also what I think is really cool and I wanted to t- put a little bit extra emphasis on this is because they're adding more DE's to Fedora so if you'd like to check out Deepin or Pantheon outside of their respective distros. So if you don't want to use Deepin Linux or you don't want to use elementary, you could use Deepin DE and Pantheon Desktop inside of Fedora coming with Fedora 30. So adding those two to the existing ones of like GNOME, KDE Plasma, XFC, etc. There's a lot of options for Fedora users and I think that is really cool. So if you would like to check out Fedora 30 beta, I have a link to it in the show notes. Up next in the show, Linux Journal has celebrated their 25th anniversary, so oh, that's amazing, congratulations to Linux Journal for lasting 25 years and uh, providing so much content to the Linux community, but they're even going a little bit farther this time because not only are they doing that, they're going to be doing uh, providing their issue, the 25th anniversary issue is already available right now and is available to everyone for free. All you have to do is sign up for their newsletter to be sent a copy of the issue. The email will include the issue in PDF, Mobi, and EPUB formats. The deep dive this month is Kids in Linux, looking at various ways to help kids get introduced and using Linux. The FOSS Project Spotlight for this month is Drupal Content Management System. The most important piece in this issue, though, is certainly the 25 years later follow-up with Linus Torvalds, where they interview Linus about all kinds of things. So, one of the things I thought was really interesting is his views about social media and why he's not a fan of it. But this is a very interesting perspective, and the interview overall is totally worth reading. So, if you want to check it out, they actually covered uh, the Linux Journal in their first year. I'm not so sure if it was their first issue, but it was definitely their first year where they co- they had an interview with Linus uh, about Linux at the time, which was like, I think it was 1994. Yeah, that's how, that's 25 years. To it. 1994 is when they did it. And uh, it's a very interesting follow up because they brought back the person who interviewed uh, Linus back then to also do the interview this time around. So that's pretty cool. If you'd like to check it out, I'll have a link in the show notes to the Linux Journal 25th anniversary issue that you can get for free. Up next in the show, UbiPorts has announced that they have started the UbiPorts Foundation. And this is really cool because it's important to have a foundation because it allows them to get some extra benefits that without having an entity they weren't able to do. Uh, but it's also really cool is because the community was able to help facilitate creating this foundation. For example, the Document Foundation, the people who make LibreOffice, were able to guide, they give guidance and, and just overall help the foundation creation. So it's really cool. And they were so they were able to secure the foundation in Berlin, Germany. So this is good because a foundation provides the project benefits such as more structure and more ways to have funding and more merchandising opportunities and a lot of other things. It's really good. So I just want to quickly talk, uh, quote, like read about the quotes that they posted on their blog about this particular thing. And they say that, Are we able to really make a difference? Yes, definitely. April fifth, two 2017, the community took full responsibility for the development and maintenance of Ubuntu Touch mobile operating system. Ubiport's activities led to continuous growth of the community. In an early stage, we became aware that in order to fulfill the growing needs of the community and to support the ambition of sustaining development of Ubuntu Touch and its ecosystem, a formal and legal entity with proper leadership would be required to make our dreams come true. We are very proud and excited to announce that we are about to be granted the status of official foundation. The authorities in Berlin have accepted our plans and the required paperwork. A wonderful milestone in our mission to make Ubuntu Touch a successful alternative mobile operating system. Which is really great. I actually use uh, Ubuntu Touch right now. I'm doing that uh, 30-day... I announced it a couple weeks ago, but I haven't really officially announced it on the channel, just in the show. So I might, do a, I might extend the amount of time that I was going to do the challenge for. So 30 days might become 45 days. We'll see. Anyway, I've been using Ubuntu Touch on this phone for a little while. And it is quite good. I like it. So um, congrats to YubiPorts for getting the foundation started. And I look forward to the future development of Ubuntu Touch. Up next in the show, Sabion Linux. I don't actually know if it's Sabion. I think it is but i don't know sabayon I, I don't know anyway sabayon 19.03 has been released and if you're not a familiar sabayon is a gentoo based distribution they're kind of like a beginner friendly uh, user friendly approach to gentoo it allows you to kind of do a stepping stones to get to gentoo if you are if you're if you're interested in running gentoo sabayon provides a way to get access to using a gentoo core but not having to do everything by you know from scratch like you would normally have to do, well, not exactly from scratch, but you know with for with Gen Two, so it allows you to kind of get used to how Gen Two works in a more um, easily access accessible approach, and then you can later, if you choose to transition to Gen Two or keep using Sabion if you want to as well. So there's many options there and it's really cool that there's you know distributions that make that possible. Similar to how Manjaro, Entergos, Arco Linux, and things like that allow you to get a you know an easier entry level uh, entry option for Arch Linux. And this Sabion does the same thing for Gentoo, which is really cool. So this latest version of 19.03 uh, they say that the Savion's goal is to give users a wide number of applications ready to use and self-configured and a self-configured operating system. So with that in mind, 19.0.3 includes the following features and enhancements. They have a new build infrastructure. They switched to Dracut for interim uh, init RAM FS generation. They've added full disk encryption support, which is really cool. They have actually switched away from the Anaconda installer, which was the, the Fedora installer, to uh, Calamares, which is a more universally built installer, which is very cool to see. And they also have, so today just wanted to make note, that they also have support for 32-bit UEFI, so you could use like Intel sticks or compute sticks and etc. They've upgraded their kernel to 4.20, which allows you to have support for really uh, up-to-date hardware like... They AMD Radeon 7, um, you know that kind of stuff. That's really cool. They also add set it up that it now uses Python 3 by default, which is good because Python 3's out been out for a while, so it's very good to get that as the the setup. A lot of some some distros are still using 2.7 for some reason, but you know there's that. Anyway, um, they've also done some entropy improvements, including better tracking of automatic dependencies and a new command like equal mark. So the AMD GPU enhancements such as extended Vega support is a, a really cool thing because they've also done AMD FreeSync support because not only do they have the latest kernel, they also have um, Mesa 19 drivers and they've said that they're going to be getting the 5.0 or 5.0 whatever uh, kernel stack uh, pretty soon. So you'll be to get better support when that comes out. And they also said that they have Nvidia FreeSync ready so G-Sync supported monitors can be enabled with a particular driver for NVIDIA drivers. So that is pretty cool. So uh, I also like the fact that they're working on a new wiki page, which is nice because, you know, um, so distros not having their own wiki kind of makes it a, a confusing situation, or not having an up-to-date wiki makes it confusing for users. So it's really cool to see that they're doing that. And they've also set, started with their own Patreon account. So that's pretty cool if you want to support the... Uh, saw the distro, you can support them on Patreon. A lot of distros don't have a way to support them, or a lot of projects in general, like open source projects, don't have a way to support those projects, and it's or not an obvious way to support the project, so it's not as good, you know, if you wanted to support it, they making it difficult to do so is, you know, kind of an issue that open source has for a while. So it's nice to see when when distros introduce a way for you to support them. Because, you know, if you use their software, you definitely should support them because otherwise, how would they be continuing to make that software, right? So anyway, if you'd like to learn more about Sabion, uh, you know, or if you're interested in Gen 2 and want to have an easier um, approach to get to it, then Sabion is definitely worth checking out. So I'll have a link to that in the show notes. Up next in the show is Linux Mint 19.2 Tina is on its way. And there's some information about the latest release in the monthly newsletter from Linux Mint. But there's also some other interesting things from this newsletter, and some articles have interpreted it in some interesting ways, such as them being depressed or feeling defeated and that kind of thing. And there are some, there's some kind of wording in that in the article as in the blog post. I mean, uh, so it's 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 an interesting perspective of, of that. But um, I think that there's more of an underlining issue that needs to be addressed, and I wanted to talk about it in this uh, this episode. I also want to let you know that we did we also talked about it on Destination Linux episode 116. We talked about this much more in depth with the, with uh, myself, Ryan and Noah. So if you want to check out that, uh, feel free to do so. I think it's definitely worth checking out. But, uh, just to continue on, the article or the blog post was written by Clem, the leader of the Linux Mint project, and some of the comments he qu- uh, he said in the in the uh, blog post or uh, qu- uh, starting quote I personally haven't enjoyed this development cycle. Two of our most talented developers have been away. It's not always easy to achieve what we want. Sometimes it's not even easy to define what we want to achieve. We can have doubts, we can work really hard on something for a while, and then question it so much we're not even sure if we'll ship it. We can get demotivated, uncertain, and even depressed by negative reactions or interactions. And it can lead to developers stepping away from the project, taking a break, or even leaving for good. And that's a definitely an interesting thing because uh, Linux Mint is in a, oh, an, an odd situation where it's one of the most popular distributions. It is one of the most suggested for new users. But at the same time, there are a lot of people who have negative opinions about the project. Now, there are some there is something to specify about negative opinions, negative attitudes, and constructive criticism. Because you can have constructive criticism and also appreciate and respect the work that is being done. So, for example, there are things that I don't necessarily like about Linux Mint. Um, I think that they have some security issues that I... They're not, like, insecure, but I think that they do certain things that make it slightly less efficient with security patches that I would prefer them to fix them, and then I wouldn't have to worry about that kind of an issue. But overall, I do think that Linux Mint is a fantastic distro, and what their goal is, is also really good. I do think that they make, a the, the Cinnamon desktop is a very good desktop. I like the work that they've done into it. And they have a lot of great work that they've overall built. So they were, you know, for example, the the apt command that is now available in every Ubuntu-based distribution. That started in 2014. However, Mint did that, built their own in a script form in two thousand. Nine, I think. I think that's when they did it. So they had it for a very long time before anyone else did. So it's an interesting situation because they are innovative and they are making some good stuff. It's just, you know, there are some things that I wish they would fix, which would make it a, even not only just a good distribution, but a great distribution. So, yeah. Anyway, another Linux Mint developer, uh, Jason Hicks, added on in a Reddit post discussing the high tensions and inability to keep up with the pace. Uh, that's the perspective or the perception that people are saying. And, and he says, in response to this, he says, uh, nope, uh, I'm hiding my project affiliation because that blog post makes me look bad. And this is a question about why he's not on the Linux GitHub anymore or the Linux Mint GitHub anymore. So it's an interesting situation because all in all, Mint is a successful distribution run by people who have a ton of talent. And at the end of the day, they are human. So they do make mistakes. And it's understandable that they would make mistakes. And if you have a, 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 an opinion and if you have some criticism, I think they would be open to you know you sharing it with them. But there is, there's ways to do it that make sense, and there's other ways to be a jerk. And unfortunately, there are a, some issues with the vast majority of people who use a particular piece of software, or might not even use it, just appreciate it. Don't let the project developers know that you appreciate it. Whereas the people who are negative to it, or even spiteful, are very, very vocal. So it creates this issue where they get a lot of feedback that is negative, and the loudest feedback they get is negative. Now they probably get more people who are interested, who are appreciative of it in general. But the there's this weird situation where the abnormality of someone being negative kind of makes you remember it more. It's kind of like um, a situation where, as a YouTuber, I get comments, and a podcaster in general, I get pod- I get comments that are really positive and really helpful, and those are great, and the, they're vast majority more of than those than there are of the negatives. But for some reason, the negatives do have an impact to me. Uh, well, they used to. They they, they don't need as much as anymore because I realized this issue, so for the most part, I just kind of ignore them, but... Um, there are some cases where people don't aren't really um, able to ignore them, and it kind of hurts their motivation to continue going. So if you can't donate money to an individual project, but uh, that's understandable. but there are things you can do for free, like for example, you could help out in the forums, you could help talking to people, or you can literally just send a tweet, send an email, you know, post on their forum or something just thanking them for the work that they do. Because that in itself is very powerful, and a lot of people who are getting negative feedback, uh, if you if you if they get overwhelmed with the positive feedback, the negative feedback is is just irrelevant, and they won't even, it won't even bother them. So, if you are using something like Linux Mint or anything else that you really appreciate and you haven't let the developer know, please do so as soon as possible. Because it will, I promise you, it will mean a lot to them. So yeah. If you would like to read this uh, newsletter, I have a link to it in the show notes below. Up next in the show is the release of 2.10.10 of GIMP, the GNU Image Manipulation Program. So this is a, this is actually just a maintenance update for, from the previous version of 2.10. Um, there's actually a lot of cool stuff that's in this, though, because, I mean, everybody's waiting for 3.0 because there's a lot of stuff coming with that one. Uh, GTK3, for example, and some non-destructive stuff that's being added, which is great. Uh, But there is a lot of stuff that is added to this one that I thought was really interesting, so I'm going to cover a few of these things, and uh, I'll have a link to the rest of them in the show notes below. But first of all, uh, line art detection and bucket fill tool has been added. This is a new algorithm for painters allowing to fill areas surrounded by line art while trying to leave no unfilled pixels near the lines and closing uh, potential zones which is really cool because it allows you to uh, do auto feel of uh, like a, the paint bucket tool but not necessarily um, extend past where you want it to go so for example sometimes like in Photoshop for example if there's a an opening in the line if there's even a slight bit of opening the um, the, the paint will just go everywhere outside of it so if it's like in the background it will go everywhere Whereas in this has line-to-art detection, making it possible to have more control over that and not go so, you know, chaotic. So that's pretty cool. And this other features is they have a lot of improvements for the transform tools. They've also added some uh, a new option called Sample Merged for the uh, Heal tool. And they also fixed the same thing in the Clone tool. So what Sample Merge is... It's an option which allows painting changes on a separate layer to keep the original data intact. So you can still affect, um, like the Heal tool, for example, you can affect the art or the the piece of the image without actually affecting the underlying data, which is very, very important for manipulating images without modifying the actual pixels because that's a non-destructive approach to editing, which is really great to see in GIMP because that's the biggest complaint there is about GIMP right now for professionals and that it is it is very destructive so adding features like this that are non-destructive is fantastic to see they've also updated and added uh, parametric brushes so you can have 32-bit uh, per channel precision which is really cool uh, they've also improved the uh, workflow for the eraser brush and the pattern creation and finally I want to talk about the new on canvas layer selection so a new generic canvas modifier alt then middle clicking your mouse allows you to uh, select layers by clicking on a pixel so the available layers will also be able to be looped through starting the upper one so if you have like let's say you have multiple pixels and you have these and they're stacked you can actually click on the same pixel and then continue to hold alt and then uh, you can navigate through the amount of pixels that are in, in those layers. So you can just, okay, I want to affect this pic, this pixel, but the third layer. So you just do it three times. So that's very cool because it allows you to select layers in a lot faster method than previously. Because you'd have to previously find the uh, layer that you want to affect in the layer uh, palette, then choose it manually there, then go back to start editing. Now you can do it really quickly and it even gives you like a notification of which player which layer you have selected or it has been selected in the status bar at the time of of doing it. So, very very cool. And they've also fixed some uh, saving and exporting features as well as the rendering and some layer groups making it a, you know, a safer experience where you don't have to worry about as if if it crashes as you lose your data. So, that's fantastic and I am looking very much forward to previous uh, in the next releases for GIMP, especially 3.0, because that has a lot of potential, and I can't wait for that. So, if you'd like to try out GIMP 2.10.10, I'll have a link to it in the show notes. Up next in the show, Dead Beef Music Player 1.8.0 has been released. It's been almost three years since the previous release, so there's a lot of stuff that's been changed over the years. And I will also cover a few a a few of these, but I'm not going to take I'm I'm going to leave it to you to check out every single one of them because there's quite a few, and uh, yeah. So I'm just going to talk about the ones that are like the highlights. But uh, if you also might notice that the latest version uh, or the previous version is 0.7.2, and this one is 1.8.0. The reason they they chose to do the version bump was because they say that it's not there's no compatibility loss or anything, but they simply believe that. Um, DeadBeef is mature enough to stop using version 0 as the starting point. So instead of 0.8, they decided to do 1.8 instead. So since the release of 0.7.2, they've added support for Opus. They've added a replay gain scanner. They've added proper tracks and queue support, which is nice. They've added uh, UMX module support. And they've also done a lot of hotkey improvements to the user experience so they've added the ability to open a track properties um, add remove and toggle uh, songs in the play queue and move selected tracks up and down with just key, uh, keyboard shortcuts so they've made it a lot cleaner experience and I really appreciate that so if you are interested in learning more you can check out Deadbeef 1.8.0 in the show notes up next in the show is the latest release of 0.5.3 of the music player Strawberry. If you are a longtime listener of the show, then you would know that episode 35 we talked about Strawberry previously and we t- when it was first announced in, uh, back in September of last year and this latest release has some interesting new improvements. So, first of all, if you've not heard of it, Strawberry is been is a fork of Clementine. And Clementine is a music player that's been around for a while. And it actually, itself, is a fork of Amarok. So Strawberry is a fork of a fork, but that's okay because that's the, that's the best thing about open source, is that you can do that. And in the case of Clementine, you might be wondering, well, why would you fork Clementine? It's been around for so long. Well, unfortunately, Clementine has not really seen much releasing any new features in a long time. Uh, they actually do still work on the code on GitHub occasionally, but it seems to be just people who are submitting code every once in a while and then people merging it in. Uh, it's, it's hard to say because for some reason there haven't been any releases for Clementine since 2016. So, you know, it's three years or so is kind of a, a long time for no releases whatsoever. Especially while you're still doing development. So that's kind of interesting. But Strawberry has decided to fork it to create their own music player. And at the time of the first announcement, the first time we talked about it, it was an offline-only music player, which was pretty cool because I actually do prefer offline music. But um, Clementine was really known for having streaming services connected to their, to the player as well. But at the same time, some of the streaming services didn't really work that well. They were kind of clunky and stuff. Um, but Strawberry has decided to inc- bring back the streaming support for uh, various different things, uh, but mainly the one that I, I think the most interesting is Title. Uh, I'm not sure if they ha- what all they have right now because they they haven't really announced the uh, every streaming service that they're going to do. But for right now, Title is the one they're talking about because Title is a really high quality streaming service. Like they cost it costs more than Spotify, for example, but it costs more because it has like a, lo- a lot of high like high definition uh, in, uh, audio. So, if you prefer, um, if you're like an audiophile who really is really important about music, then Tidal is a better service for you in that case. They also added support for uh, Last.fm, FM, Libra FM, and Listen Brains for scrobbling your. Um, you know, keeping track of what you're do, of what you're listening to, and how often you listen to, it and that kind of stuff. You don't have to use those things if you don't want to, but you can use them if you want to keep track of that information. So that's pretty cool. They've also got a lot of bug fixes and performance improvements, as well as some new features. So, for example, they have new anal- uh, analyzers called Boom and Rainbox. They've added artist search for music service. The integration with Title. They added support for translations. Uh, they also set the. Um, have, they have a setting to allow automatically saving album covers directly to, album, to the album directory, which is nice because it allows you to not have to keep re the albums. Uh, they've also added some more background image options if you like to customize your player. So anyway, if you'd like to check it out, Strawberry Music Player 0.5.3 has a link in the show notes. This episode of This Week in Linux is also sponsored by the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt. It's the shirt I made to celebrate the proliferation of Linux. The concept of the design has Tux blended into the background to convey the message. Even if you aren't aware that Linux is there, it probably is. The shirt is available for shipping from North America and from Europe. If you would like to go to get it from North America, go to tuxdigital.com linuxeverywhere. Or if you're in Europe, you can go to tuxdigital.com slash linuxeverywhere eu for shipping inside of Europe. Last week, I talked about it in the outro that this shirt... Uh, North America shipping wasn't available because of some weird claim that the manufacturer or the distributor had with copyright infringement even though that's weird of course considering I made the shirt so how do I infringe myself I don't know anyway that has been solved now so whether whichever's uh, continent you're on you can totally check it out um, well provided it's North America or Europe I mean you can you can order it from other places in the world but it costs more to do the shipping there so uh, you know there's that. And a special thank you to everyone who supports the show, whether you do so with Patreon or PayPal or purchase this shirt. It's very, 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 very appreciated. I I can't really express how much it means to me that people want to support this show and support the content I make. So anyway, um, yeah, let's just get back to the show. Up next in the show is WPS Office 11 for Linux. This latest release adds a lot of new features, but if you haven't heard of M- uh, WPS Office, WPS Office is a, uh, is a it's a very similar interface to Microsoft Office. Um, the WPS team actually says anyone familiar with Microsoft Office will feel right at home with WPS Office, and that makes sense because it's the similar. The interface is very similar, even has a ribbon ex- uh, interface uh, ex- user experience, so it's it's very very similar. They've also made it possible to, uh, with the newest release to have new application skins. They've added easier access to recently opened documents and tabs. They've o- added the ability to open new documents in tabs. They've added some better support for SVG and QR codes. They've made it possible to control the font size and the previews, as well as made it possible to replace fonts inside of documents. So if you if you import a document and it doesn't have the right font, you could replace the font. Instead, Uh, they've also improved the PDF export uh, feature of the application as well. Um, So if you haven't heard of it and you haven't tried it out, it might be worth trying. There is actually some reports that have said that the Microsoft Office format support in WPS is better than that is offered in LibreOffice. But of course, you'd have to decide for yourself. Like I've tried both of them, and for my purposes, both of them worked fine in that case, as far as those documents uh, support. But you'll have to uh, find out for you things that you use are available in which one um, so anyway if you would like to check out WPS Office 11 I'll have a link to it in the show notes up next in the show is some good news for open source the automation suite uh, Chef has actually been released as open source in their article they say it's 100% open always so if you haven't heard of it Chef is an automation process to basically allow you to control like an, an IT infrastructure so you can have controls over uh, across functional roles uh, to provide environment structure where a business can build and deploy, or and also manage, of course, any software they want, any basically over any amount of computers they want. So that's the the goal of Chef. Uh, Chef also says that um, continue continuous automation delivers huge ROI benefits across multiple modes of automation, which makes sense. But um, there was an issue a long time ago, well until now, that Chef was open core, where it was. Partially open, and also kind of not. Thankfully, though, they've decided that they have, are going to release the source code for Chef completely and open source it and uh, license it in Apache license. So, from the blog post that they, when they announced this, they say, "quote We aren't making this change lightly. Over the years, we have experimented with and learned from a variety of different open source community and commercial models in search of the right balance." We believe that this change and the way we have made it best aligns the objectiveness of our communities with our own business objectives. Now we can focus all of our investment and energy on building the best possible products in the best possible way for our community without having to choose between what is proprietary and what is in the commons. I also say that Chef is announcing a new commercial distribution, Chef Enterprise Automation Stack. And that will be licensed and tailored exclusively for commercial customers of Chef. We will make our distributions freely available for non-commercial use, experimentation, and individuals, so anyone can get started with ease. Now that sounds kind of like a contradiction in its own, in the, in the blog post itself. Like, how can it be 100% open and then also have a license where you're not allowed to use it for uh, non-commercial use, uh, or or you're not a al- if well you're not allowed to use it unless you pay for it if you're going to use it for commercial use. Having that limitation does kind of make you go is it 100% open? And technically, yes it is. There's an interesting loophole that some software has used some companies have used in the past that where you release the binaries as not necessarily proprietary but commercially licensed and you release the source code as an open license so that if you someone wanted to use the code they totally could but they're not necessarily allowed to just take the binaries so if they wanted to use your software for free and in the open aspects they totally could but they would have to compile it and build it themselves and implement and distribute it themselves or kind of like you know deploy it themselves so uh, it's actually an interesting thing because Red Hat used to have that policy as well uh, they've kind of changed the way they structure it a little bit but it is kind of it is somewhat similar to how it used to be but it also is a little bit different too, because they have CentOS now under the Red Hat like umbrella. But it's interesting because this is they're saying that the binaries will be require a pay, will require a payment for commercial use. But if you're going to use it for non-commercial or a personal individual usage, you don't have to pay for the license. Um, the source code will be will be Apache licensed, so you will have full access to the source code. And if you wanted to compile it yourself, you totally could. Um, But they do have another stipulation that says redistributions of the source code are not allowed to use the Chef trademarks. Now, I think this is actually a reasonable approach. You still have the open source aspects. You still have the 100% open source code. The actual source itself is open. Um, But if if someone wants you to do the work for them, building the binaries, well, then you could say if you want to deploy our software, you have to pay for a commercial license to do that. Unless you wanted to do it yourself manually and have no support, then I can see how that is a reasonable approach. It doesn't really bother me. That's like I can understand why some people would be bothered because you know it has a little bit of a restriction, but it doesn't really bother me in this case because I don't think it's that um, you know too much to ask of having. If you want someone else to help you build it and deploy everything and have the binaries built for you, then it's kind of reasonable for them to request a commercial fee for that. Especially because this software is used for companies to deploy, not necessarily individual users, even though you totally could if you wanted to with that, their individual license structure, which is free to use even the binaries. So even if you just want to use it for yourself, or you just want to use it for your own purposes, you're not. or if you're going to do it for a non-commercial usage, then you don't have to worry about it, and the only people who have to worry about it are people who are making money off the software. So I I understand that approach, and I'm actually okay with that. So let me know what you think in the comments below, whether you're okay with the structure or not, Uh, because I I think it would be a really interesting conversation to have. So let me know in the comments below, and if you'd like to check out the blog post from Chef, or even just the Chef Tools, I have a link to those in the show notes. Up next in the show is the Raspberry Pi Mouse and keyboard more specifically is an official mouse and keyboard created by the Raspberry Pi Foundation to go along with the Raspberry Pi. And this is pretty cool because if you are a fan of Raspberry Pi, it's it's nice to see that they are working on a branding approach to their um, to, the, to the to the Pi itself. They're adding these peripherals that are all match the same kind of design feel and that's pretty cool. So you know it's nice to you know to have see stuff like that where they're put not only just making the hardware but they're also making a whole nice package, uh, and also it's a it's a good way to support the companies uh, that you appreciate or that are, that are building these things. So you have the official accessories. You can support the Raspberry Pi Foundation with not only just making the Pi but also making these other things like for example their cases as well as these keyboard and mouse. So anyway, they released this branded branded mouse and keyboard to complement the. Uh, Raspberry Pi. The mouse is a three-button, uh, a three-button mouse. So the scroll wheel is also a button, which is very common. Um, but anyways, they also have uh, this nice red and white design that is the the approach to the Raspberry Pi's design overall. Uh, but they, if you don't like that particular design, you can also get their black and gray version, uh, which is uh, pr- pretty nice looking too. So they looks they basically look the same, but they have different accent colors. Uh, but other other than that, it's it's a it's an interesting approach because of the way that they handle the um, the keyboard. So the first thing that I would be worried about is that there's only a few ports on the Raspberry Pi for USB. So plugging in a mouse and keyboard kind of creates a problem of while well, you're taking up two more, you're taking up two USB ports, and that can be problematic depending on what you're doing with the Pi. However this keyboard is actually a really nice keyboard and has an extra nice feature in it. So it's a 78 key laptop type keyboard. So it's a compact keyboard, but they put a lot of effort into it making it look good and making the quality good. So there's no led leak or anything, but more importantly they put extra USB ports on the keyboard itself, like a hub. It's actually a hub. So you plug in with a micro USB from the keyboard, to a single port on the Raspberry Pi and then there are three ports on the keyboard itself. So you can plug the mouse into the keyboard and then still have two extra key uh, two extra ports. So instead of losing two ports, you actually gain uh, you gain one for sure while still having uh, the keyboard and mouse connected. So that's a very cool approach and I you know I think that's a, a great a great part of it. Um they al- also the the prices of these things are pretty cheap too. The keyboard itself is only $17 and the mouse is only $8. So if you like the design and you like that approach and you want a like a small uh, compact approach to having a Raspberry Pi setup, then this could be a good option for you. Uh another thing about the key case that they have, the- actually there's a lot of cases you can find Hundreds of cases on Amazon or whatever various different places, but they have their own official case, too And what I like about the official case is that it's designed to have a a snap on and off top So you can actually remove the top and have access to the GPI GPI GPIO pins in the the board uh, Without having to take the full case off. So that's a very cool feature and if you are interested in checking that out, I'll have a link to this particular blog post about the, Pi, the Pi's mouse and keyboard in the show notes below. Up next in the show is Spurve. Spurve is an open source initiative from Collabora to run Android apps on Wayland Linux desktops. So they say, the way they describe it, is you can run Android applications in the same graphical environment as a regular Wayland Linux applications with full 3D acceleration. They say that Sperve was named after the autonomous v- underwater vehicle that was built in 1957 of the same name that stood for self-propelled underwater research vehicle. They say the reason they did so is because it's common to n- use an, andro- an-, an Android naming scheme with fish-themed names. I've never seen f- other fish thing fish named projects for Android other than Goldfish, which is an emulator. But other than that, I don't... Uh, whatever. So, you say so. Anyway, Sperv is a containerized Android environment that provides an Android target device, a Android how-to-also-audio stack. Uh, Spurve a hardware composer to integrate uh, Android Windows into Wayland. It also has DHCP to allow containerized network support and related code to connect these different components together so it's kind of similar to the way like, have you ever heard of Anbox we talked about Anbox on a previous episode of this show uh, but Anbox is an LXC based um, container tool to um, run Android apps inside of Linux now the difference the says the difference is how hardware is, is accessed and that Spurv is different from other Linux desktop integrations like Anbox uh, because it offers direct hardware access to the Android application. They say this is a choice we made for performance reasons. Uh, but there are drawbacks, especially when it comes to security. So I'm not sure, like, because the way that and- Andbox works is that it's LX- LXC based and uses QEMU in order to create this containering. So it's like a virtualization sort of thing. And it works, um, for the most part, pretty well. But it does have a little bit of a performance hit because of that uh, containerization and it doesn't have direct access to the hardware. So in this approach, like which one would you prefer having a little bit less security or a little bit better and a little bit better performance or a little bit less performance and a little bit better security? So I guess that's really a compromise you'd have to pick. And I don't think that Sperve is currently available on Xorg sessions. I think it's only for Wayland right now. and I think I'm not sure if it's only intended for Wayland or not. I couldn't find any information about that, um, but uh, it's still an interesting project, and I think it's really great that people are working on this kind of thing because having some Android apps would be great. Uh, like, cause some, for example, if you could have uh, a- apps for like social media or something like that that specifically requires you to use a mobile device, and then this way you could use a mobile, you could use that app without having to worry about having a mobile device. That would be great. So. Yeah. Anyway, if you'd like to learn more about Spurve, I have a link to the Collabora post on it in the show notes below. Speaking of Wayland, we have some unfortunate news about Wayland. Uh, it's not horrible, but it is unfortunate. Uh, Derek Foreman, the formerly uh, employee of Samsung for the open source group, has been serving for the release manager of Wayland and the Western compositor for the past number of release cycles and he's decided to step down from this role. He says, I no longer have as much time to dedicate to this as I used to, so I think it would be best if someone else could take over managing the releases for Wayland and Weston. So, the interesting thing is that people who started Wayland are no longer maintaining Wayland either, and this has been the third... Derek was the third maintainer, and the next person would be the fourth person. I think we already have uh, Simon, who's... uh, Simon Sir of Intel has volunteered to become the next uh, Wayland release manager, Uh, but we don't know if if that's going to happen or not. But this is an interesting situation because Derek worked for Samsung Research in their open source group. Last October, Samsung announced they would be closing the open source group, but of course they said not to worry because nothing would really change with their contributions. And nothing's going to go away. We're still going to be working on open source. We're still going to be contributing to the, the ecosystem and all that good stuff. In fact, they even said in an article um, in October of last year, their response to the, 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 the community's response was not very positive for this news. And Samsung decided to try to cool that with this statement, saying that Samsung's research... America's open source group has helped guide the company in effective consumption, collaboration, and development of open source software since its formation in 2013. We have not shut down the OSG, but the group has recently been restructured. While we do not comment on per- personnel matters, what we can say that we remain committed to open source software research. So this was to say that don't worry, it's not a big deal. We're still going to be doing stuff. And now the developers who were working on things upstream in big ways like Release Manager for Wayland were absolutely let go and therefore didn't have time to devote to it anymore. And so the statement that there's nothing to worry about, there's nothing changing, is a massive lie. Because they did get rid of the the restructuring is a nice way of saying, we're lying to you. But anyway, so many of the upstream developers employed by Samsung's OSG is no longer there, it's no longer a part of Samsung, and in many cases are not able to continue working on the projects they were working on because of it. Uh, Pharonix reports that since the closure of the OSG, for Wayland in particular, Samsung's public contributions to Wayland Weston have dried up completely. So, yeah. Um, Just to point out that I don't, you know this is a negative thing, and I normally don't talk about negative, uh, massively negative pro- uh, st- topics on this show. But you know, when somebody does this kind of thing and it's um, a negative to a potentially important project like Wayland, I, I do want to point out that you know the the absurdity of their comments about how they're still trying to help open source and they're still they still care and they're, they remain committed or whatever. Sure you do. Sure you do. So from one company that is a punk to open source, to two companies that are pals of open source, and that is Purism and Private Internet Access. So Purism has announced recently their their partnership with Private Internet Access, and they say that PIA's popular VPN platform will be fully integrated into Purism's software and hardware offerings for unprecedented security and privacy protection. They also go on to say, quote, By combining its signature VPN capabilities with Purism, leading secure hardware and software products, the two will create a first-of-its-kind bundle for users to set up a privacy-protecting and secure environment out of the box. So Purism plans to include the Private Internet Access VPN by default in the Librem 5 phone, as well as within PureOS for its Librem 13 and Librem 15 laptops. They also have announced, Pyrism has announced that they're going to do upgrades to uh, the hardware in the Pyrism laptops uh, to increase the RAM to up to 32 gigs, which is really cool. So this is pretty cool. If you haven't heard of it, Private Internet Access is a VPN or a virtual private network that allows you to um, be secured and be private on the Internet and... The best thing about it is that it doesn't, uh, Private Internet Access has proven multiple times that they do not keep logs or even make logs in the first place of what people do on the VPN. This is just, it's a way to be private and anonymous through their VPN service. And um, they've actually been taken to court multiple times uh, or subpoenaed multiple times from the governments, the US government, to get logs from the users, but they don't have logs, so there's nothing to get. So. Anyway, that's just a great thing. So if you actually uh, are not aware uh, a VPN allows you to do multiple things. If you happen to be region locked to content in various different platforms, you could use a VPN to, to you know bypass that. Or you could just be, you know, want to be careful about privacy. Like for example, if you go to a public Wi-Fi at like a coffee shop, you should definitely be using a VPN, not their direct Wi-Fi because that would be not a good idea. All kinds of stuff could be on that network. So yeah, use a VPN there if you do that. But anyway, I do think that uh, this is pretty cool, and I do like uh, Private Internet Access. And if you are interested in checking out Private Internet Access, because if you don't have a Purism device, you could still use Private Internet Access VPN. Uh, you just have to sign up for their uh, their service and install it into your computer or into your device or whatever, and uh, totally can you know get started with it now. And if you do decide to get started with it, you can check out the affiliate link by going to TuxDigital.com slash PIA. That's TuxDigital.com slash P-I-A to uh, sign up for Private access. And if you use that URL, it will give uh, a small commission to the Tux Digital channel and to this show, uh, letting them know that we sent you there. And uh, we'd be very appreciative because uh, you'd be able to not only get a great VPN, but you'd also be supporting the Tux Digital channel. So, thank you if you do so, and if and I do highly suggest checking out them, because having a VPN is very useful. Anyway, if you'd like to learn more about this particular partnership, or Purism, or Private interacts, I'll have a link to all that in the show notes. So, we're going to round this episode out with some Linux gaming news. And first up, we're going to talk about the latest confirmation from Aspire Media about the DLC, the Ultra HD DLC for Borderlands, is coming to Linux. So the recently released free DLC for Borderlands 2 and Borderlands, the pre-sequel, which adds a lot of uh, multiple graphical upgrades and all kinds of stuff, will be supported on the Linux versions that were ported by Aspire Media. This is really cool because, for example, what comes is remastered uh, 4K environment textures, uh, 4K characters and vehicles, 4K weapon meshes, uh, improved anti-aliasing implementation which includes uh, improved edge line implementation. This includes like uh, improved ink line definition, so the design of the characters and everything is just a nice, you know, better, better framing and outline around the character models. Uh, improved sp- uh, screen space uh, ambient in- occlusion, which basically is um, a method for realistic ambient lighting. Uh, they've also improved uh, higher resolution dynamic shadows, which makes it have a higher quality of, and smoothness of shadows especially during movement. So it's just a nice overall enhancement package for Borderlands 2 and the pre-sequel. And it's really cool that they're going to be supporting this update because I'm a big fan of Borderlands series. It's an amazingly ridiculous and funny and awesome um, game uh, game series. And, has, and Borderlands 2 specifically has one of the best villains ever. Like, I don't... I, like, top five ever best villains. Not even just games. It's just, it's such a good villain. Um Anyway, so, that's the good news. The potential bad news is, we don't really know for sure, but based on the likelihood, it's not, not likely. But Borderlands 3 has been announced, and it looks amazing, and it looks great, and I want to play it. But, we don't have any word about it being supported for Linux, because... Uh, Gearbox themselves don't support Linux, um, so we can't really rely on them. And they recently did the horrible uh, exclusive deal with the Epic Store that I talked about in a previous episode, where Epic is terrible, and that they're doing exclusive nonsense uh, with games that are already existing. And they're doing that with Borderlands 3 too, which is only going to be a couple months or so, but still pretty annoying. Uh, Because it's one of the games that I really want. And this means it's very unlikely that Linux will get it anytime soon if it does. Um, But Aspire Media has not confirmed whether or not they're going to be porting Borderlands 3 to the platform. And I'm just saying that I think it would be amazing if they were to do that. It's one of the most um, anticipated games for me in a long time. And um, just saying if you would like to tweet them and request that they port the game to Linux um, I will have a link to tweet them in the show notes and the video description um, so if you'd like to do that and help me uh, convince them I, I will be sending a tweet you can retweet what I sent or you could just you know, send your own if you wanted to um, but I think if, if we can somehow get enough people to convince them that there are a lot of people there are people who want to have this game and are willing to pay for it um, yeah, I think it'd be great and maybe they'll listen. Anyway, hopefully so, but if you'd like to check out the DLC for the uh, Borderlands 2 and the pre-sequel, that'll be coming fairly soon. Uh, I'm not really sure exactly when. They haven't said so, but hopefully pretty soon. Anyway, I have a link to the uh, post on Gaming on Linux about this, as well as uh, the games themselves if you're interested, and the tweet to let them know that we want Borderlands 3 in the show notes. Well, not Borderlands 3 in the show notes, but the link will be in the show notes. Right. That makes sense. And finally this week is the latest announcement from SuperTuxCart. 0.10 Release Candidate is now available. Now, there's a couple things I want to talk about before we get to the big news. Uh, If you have have listened to the show uh, for a while, uh, we actually talked about the big news Previously on, a, on the beta version that was released, but um, we're going to save the best for last. If you're new to the show, so the old mansion track has been replaced with a new upgraded Ravenbridge Mansion track, which looks not much nicer. They've actually Im- implemented the Black Forest add-on map, which was a created a community created map and has now become an official kart tracks uh, part of the track set, which is really cool. But by far the most important thing that it's been needed for a very long time is that networked multiplayer is now available and ready for general use so we can te- so you can test it out without using a beta you could just use the uh, this this version is a release candidate so it's not technically a release and is not technically ready but it is definitely ready for testing um, for basically anybody can test it out without having to worry about doing all the extra stuff that you would do with the beta um, but anyway uh, so it's really cool because the multiplayer games allow you to play with your friends over Wi-Fi, and most importantly, over the internet. So you can now play SuperTux Kart over the internet with your friends, and it's awesome. So I'm a big fan of this game because it's silly. It's a um, it's a, a kind of a a combination of Mar- Mario Kart plus uh, the mascots of the open source and free software world. Like uh, the Gimp, uh, GIMP character, you can get the Tux, for example. The Linux mascot, Super Tux Cart. That's where the name comes from. Anyway, that's also, by the way, if you're not aware, that's where Tux Digital comes from. Um, but again, moving moving back to the topic, uh, the Super Tux Cart is a really fun game, but the only thing it was missing was the ability to play your friends online. And now that you can do that, it opens a whole new world of potential for this game. And it, and it also is going to make it a... Uh, a game that we're going to play as a community uh, pretty soon, and uh, to celebrate this 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 uh, release. So if you would like to, be sure to join the uh, Tux Digital Discord server by going to tuxdigital.com/discord, or the and also I'll be announcing both places uh, the Telegram group tuxdigital.com/telegram to uh, be notified when we're going to do this. It'll be sometime this week. I haven't decided exactly when, but sometime this week we're going to do a community race. Um, I guess Gauntlet. I don't know of Super Tux online, which is awesome. I'm looking forward to it. I actually did get a chance to play with it before with me and Ryan from the from Destination Linux, as well as some others tried tried it out. And uh, it's it's pretty fun. It works quite well. So if you are interested, uh, you should definitely check it out. And uh, be sure to sign up or not sign up, but join those groups in the Discord server to uh, be notified. We're going to do it. I'm also going to be. Posting a video on this channel about it when we do the community gaming and uh, also doing on Twitter and Mastodon and those kinds of places as well. So you're not going to be left out if you don't join the Discord or Telegram groups. But if you would like to, uh, the uh, Discord is more importantly uh, the available for the conversation because I will probably stream the games uh, and you will need to join the Discord server voice channel in order to participate in uh, well you can participate in the game regardless but participating in the game's voice and the the extreme itself and the you know the overall experience you'll need to have a, be a part of the Discord server for that. So if you would like to check it out, which I suggest you do, super uh, Supertux Cart 0. 0.10 release candidate. We'll have a link in the show notes. Thanks for watching this episode of this week in Linux. If you like what I do here on this show, please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the TuxDigital channel, we have multiple ways to contribute via PayPal, Patreon, and many more. You can learn more by going to TuxDigital.com slash contribute. Or you can order the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt by going to TuxDigital.com slash Or if you're in Europe, you can go to TuxDigital.com slash EU for shipping inside of Europe. We also have ways to contribute without any cost to you by using our affiliate links. You can find places like Amazon, private internet access, etc. by going to TuxDigital.com slash affiliates. If you'd like to submit some good news to the show, then visit the subreddit by going to thisweekinlinux.reddit.com. If you'd like some more podcasting goodness from me, then check out the latest episode of Destination Linux, as I'm a co-host of that show. You can also check out the next episode of Floss Weekly from the Twit Network, as I'll be co-hosting the episode 525 of Floss Weekly. And just a reminder, the show is live usually every Saturday, so join us in the live chat room to discuss all the latest Linux news each week. Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Dunnell with Tux Digital and as always keep using, learning and enjoying Linux.